0: morning we're looking at the Word of God. And the title of today's sermon is uh, the Word of God, its place for you, for me, and the church. I want to ask you this morning, what is your attitude this morning towards the Word of God? What function does the Word of God play in your life? What role does the Word of God have in the life of your family? Maybe another way of of thinking through these questions is, if someone stole all the Bibles in your home, or if you use your electronic device for your Bible, they stole all of your electronic devices, how long would it take you to figure that out? If all the Bibles and all of the the resources you had for the Bible were taken, how long would it take you to figure out they're gone? We read of the importance of the Word of God in the allegory written by John Bunyan, Pilgrim's Progress. Progress. If you're familiar with the story, when the burden rolls off of Pilgrim's back as he's he's, uh, trudging up the hill, coming to the cross, the messenger gives him what the book says is a roll uh, or a scroll. And of course, in an allegory, one thing is meant to picture another thing. And uh, this scroll, or this roll, is meant to picture many different things. It's meant to picture uh, assurance of salvation. It's, uh, the messenger says, keep this scroll, because when you get to the, to the celestial city, you'll have to show it for proof of your entryway into the city. But this scroll is also a picture of the Word of God itself. And oftentimes, in this allegory of Pilgrim's Progress, a Christian looks into this scroll and reads from it to find comfort and assurance and direction. Well, I just want to read you a portion of Pilgrim's Progress. Christian falls asleep and... The story goes that he unknowingly loses his scroll. It rolls out from his pocket into a little crevice uh, by a cave. And he doesn't realize it's gone. He wakes up. He keeps going on his journey. And he meets two individuals along his road called Mistrust. And I should have, uh, I should have asked how you say this word. Timorous, Timorous, one of those two. And they're casting all of these doubts into Christian's mind. They said, we saw two lions up the way. Boy, we better go back. And Christian's like, I can't go back. I've left everything behind. And where I'm going to read, the story picks up after he has these conversations. And it says, then said Christian to these two individuals, you make me afraid, But whither shall I fly to be safe? If I go back to mine own country that is prepared for fire and brimstone, I shall certainly perish there. And if I can go to the celestial city, I am sure to be in safety there. I must venture. To go back is nothing but death. To go forward is fear of death and life everlasting beyond it. I will yet go forward. So mistrust and uh, Timorous Timorous ran down the hill, and Christian went on his way. But thinking again of what he had heard from the men, he felt in his bosom for his roll or his scroll that he might read therein and be comforted. But he felt and found it not. Then was Christian in great distress, and knew not what to do, for he wanted that which used to relieve him, and that which should have been his pass into the celestial city. Here, therefore, he began to be much perplexed, and knew not what to do. At last he bethought himself that he had slept in the arbor that is on the side of the hill, and falling down upon his knees, he asked God for forgiveness for that foolish act, and then went back to look For his role. But all the way he went back, who can sufficiently set forth the sorrow of Christian's heart? Sometimes he sighed, sometimes he wept, and oftentimes he chided himself for being so foolish to fall asleep in that place which was erected only for a little refreshment from his weariness. Thus, therefore, he went back. And carefully looking on this side and on that all the way as he went, if happily he might find the role that had been his comfort so many times in his journey. He went thus till he came again within sight of the arbor where he sat and slept. But that sight renewed his sorrow the more by bringing again even afresh his evil of sleeping unto his mind." Thus therefore he went on, bewailing his sinful sleep, saying, O wretched man that I am, that I should sleep in the daytime, that I should sleep in the midst of difficulty, that I should so indulge the flesh as to use that rest for ease to my flesh, which the Lord of the hill hath erected only for the relief of the spirits of pilgrims. How many steps I have taken in vain, Thus it happened to Israel for their sin when they went back by way of the Red Sea. And it keeps going. I'm going to skip a little section. It says, Now by the time he was come to the arbor again, where for a while he sat down and wept, but at last, as Christian would have it, looking sorrowfully down under the settle, there he saw his roll, the which he, with trembling and haste, catched up and put into his bosom. But who can tell how joyful this man was when he had gotten his role again? For this role was the assurance of his life and the acceptance at the desired haven. Therefore he laid it up in his bosom, gave thanks to God for directing his eye to the place where it lay, and with joy and tears betook himself again to his journey. That's only the beginning of this book. You see there's a lot more to go. But he lost his scroll, which he found comfort, relief, assurance. And we see just from this one passage the importance of the Word of God. You see, it's to be our guiding light. The Word of God is meant for the Christian to be a reminder of what true reality is for the Christian. It's to tell us of who we are. It's to remind us of where we are headed. Uh, it, the Word of God is to be the stabilizing reminder of where our hope is found. It's to be the authority of our individual lives. It's to be the authority of the life of the church. But too many times we find ourselves in pilgrim situation. We're sleep. Where disinterest, where apathy to what is truly important takes hold of us, and we lose the Word of God in our hearts and lives. See, too many times we as people and and, and we as the church, we replace the Word of God with other lesser things. It could be entertainment. It could be busyness, it could be projects, hobbies, our own thoughts and opinions, which are not based upon God's Word, but they're just based upon our likes and dislikes, and well, they don't do it this way, so, and we totally lose sight of the importance of Scripture, not self we can even replace the importance of God's word with good things like serving. And what we're left with in churches today are unguided and ungrounded Christians. You see, this can't be the case for our church. Uh, we, as, as one local church, out of many local churches across the world, we must commit ourselves to holding tightly to the authority, to the joy of Scripture. And that's why in our very first bullet point of our, of our church membership covenant, the very foundation that is laid says this, we will seek to build our lives and families upon the foundation of the Scriptures and hold fast to sound doctrine in keeping with the biblical text. You see, if we do not have this as a priority in our hearts, then everything else is going to crumble. If we don't have the common source of finding our hope, of finding our joy, of finding our authority for our lives in God's Word, then we're truly building our lives, we're building our church upon a foundation of sand. So this morning we're going to see once again our theme that we are called to be the church. And we're going to look at the Word of God, we're going to look at its place in my life, what its place should be in your life, and what its place should be in our church. And we're going to look at that through three common principles today. If the Word of God is going to be our authority, individually and as a church, we must value the Word of God, we must prioritize the Word of God, and we must cling to the Word of God. We're going to look at those three things this morning. Let's pray. Father, I pray that this morning that You would do a work in our hearts. Father, I pray that Your Spirit, as the Word goes out, would plant the seed, of the message of the truth, the gospel, deeper into our hearts. Father, there's many individuals that are going through many different difficulties and trials. Lord, we could take all morning to share those. But Lord, of all those difficulties, of all those things that are pressing on our mind, the hope that we have despite the myriad situations that are represented. It's found in your word. Lord, our one source for life. Lord, I pray today that we would seek in greater ways to value your word, to cling to it, to prioritize it. In Jesus' name, amen. If the Word of God is going to be authoritative in our life and in the life of our church, we have to value the Word of God. Psalm 119, the longest chapter in the Bible, is such a perfect example of what it means to value the Word of God, both individually, excuse me, as the psalmist himself, an individual, writes this psalm, uh, most believe that, that, that David wrote this song. but then corporately, as, as though one individual wrote it, uh, probably David, he wrote it representing the attitude of what God's word is to mean to his people. Just a few words of introduction and, uh, regarding Psalm 119. Uh, psalm 119 establishes the priority specifically of the Torah or the Pentateuch or the first five books that we read of in the Old Testament. It was to guide the people of Israel. It was to be their delight. There's 22 sections in this chapter, in this psalm. There's eight verses in each section. Each section, if you, if you look in your Bible, is given a title: Aleph, Bait, Gimel, Dalit, He, Vav, Zion. Those are the letters in the Hebrew alphabet. There is one letter for each section, there's 22 letters in the Hebrew alphabet. Each verse starts with the letter of that section. The psalmist here is under inspiration and also the creativity of of what God has given man. He is writing this psalm in an organized, poetic fashion. Many individuals note that this psalm seems repetitive. In fact, uh, individuals have commented that you really could summarize the entire psalm in about two verses. But the reason that the psalmist is uh, is repeating himself, and that this is the longest psalm in the, in the entire uh, Bible, the longest chapter, 176 verses, is because the psalmist wants to Look at every single angle that you can possibly look at to say God's word is precious. It is valuable. It is life giving. Every single angle conceivable. Well, we don't have time to read all 176 verses. I want to look at a few of these sections and to highlight the value of God's Word. I just have four areas that I want to highlight. You see, the Word of God, the psalmist makes clear, is of value to us because it is essential to life. It's essential to life. Specifically, the Christian life. Jesus himself, uh, in Uh, Says, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Look at Psalm 119, starting in the very beginning, verse 1, the section called Aleph. Blessed are those whose way is blameless, who walk in the way of the Lord. Blessed are those who keep His testimonies, who seek Him with their whole heart, who also do no wrong, but walk in His ways. You have commanded your precepts to be kept diligently. Oh, that my ways may be steadfast in keeping your statutes. Then I shall not be put to shame. Having my eyes fixed on all your commandments, I will praise you with an upright heart when I learn your righteous rules. I will keep your statutes. Do not utterly forsake me. The psalmist here is not saying that that he is perfect. What he's saying in verses 8 is how blessed is the man, is the woman who has a heart fixed on God, who looks at God's Word in all of its beauty and value. Then we keep reading in this second section, Bait, How can a young man keep his way pure? By guarding it according to your word. With my whole heart I seek you. Let me not wander from your commandments. I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Side note, that's a common verse that I try to remind my children of, even with our Awana ministry here, is uh, you're not memorizing verses to simply get awards or ribbons. Uh, Those things are great, but that's not the goal. The goal is to have a heart fixed on God. And that goal never stops from childhood to adulthood. Verse 12, blessed are you, O Lord, teach me your statutes. With my lips, I declare all the rules of your mouth. In the way of your testimonies, I delight. As much as in all riches. How many of us can say that? I will meditate on your precepts and fix my eyes on your ways. I will delight in your statutes. I will not forget your word. You see, God's word is essential to the life of the Christian because God's word is to be the very sole delight of the Christian. Listen, you you cannot have a deep desire to follow Christ and love him more and more each day apart from the word of God. You just can't. Committed Christianity and growth, continued growth in your life, even though the Christian life is is a myriad of mountains and valleys, there cannot be sustained growth and deeper love for God apart from His Word. Because it is in His Word that we learn of the very character of who our God is. The very love that He provides. The Word of God is essential to life. And maybe we've forgotten this because riches, things, troubles, sleep, slumber as Christian talked about in Pilgrim's Progress, has caused us to forget the value of God's Word. It is essential to life. Number two, we must value God's Word because right along with this theme, if, if God's Word is essential to the Christian life, number two, God's Word sustains us. If you jump down to verse 25, the section entitled "Dolet: my soul clings to the dust Give me life according to your word. When I told of my ways, you answered me. Teach me your statutes. So how is God speaking here? He's speaking through his word, not through feeling, not through uh, uh, thought, not through circumstance. It's through his word. Verse 27, make me understand the way of your precepts and I will meditate on your wondrous works. My soul melts for sorrow. Strengthen me according to your word. Put away, put false ways far from me and graciously teach me your law. I have chosen the way of faithfulness. I have set your rules before me. I cling to your testimonies, O Lord. Let me not be put to shame. I will run in the way of your commandments when you enlarge my heart. God's word sustains. We don't have time to read the entire psalm, but as you go through this psalm, you see that the psalmist is encountering difficulty. Difficulty within his own heart, and difficulty from enemies around him. And what's the number one thing that often causes us to start straying from consistency in God's word? It's trials, it's difficulty. And man, the psalmist is saying, that is when I need God's word the most. Not only is God's word essential to life, not only does it sustain us, but we're going to jump down to verse 41. Number three, the word of God gives us a context by which to live. We all have a context in which we're living. There's not a single person that isn't living according to some type of a context. It may be a very biblical context, but it also may be a very unbiblical context, a very unbiblical worldview of how we're viewing ourselves and how we're viewing uh, circumstances and people and things around us. But God's Word gives us the context by which we are to live. Verse 41, the section Vav let your steadfast love come to me, O Lord, your salvation according to your promise. he's speaking here of a very specific promise. the promise is found in God's Word. Again, the psalmist is writing without the completed scriptures like we have Genesis to Revelation. He's focusing on the first five books of the Bible. Those are the books of the Bible we often view as, well, those are all the rules. Those are the Ten Commandments. Those are God's law with all these funny laws. Uh, But even even the psalmist in his context recognizes these laws are not a burden to us. These are life-giving as we follow God in a committed relationship to all he has done for us. And we have the promise that God says, I will be your God. I will be your sufficiency. I will bless you as you walk in my ways. Verse 42, Then shall I have an answer for him who taunts me, for I trust in your word. And take not the word of truth utterly out of my mouth, for my hope is in your rules. I will keep your law continually forever and ever, and I shall walk in a wide place, for I have sought your precepts. I will also speak of your testimonies before kings, and shall not be put to shame. For I find my delight in your commandments, which I love. I will lift up my hands toward your commandments, which I love, and I will meditate on your statutes. You see, the context that the Word of God gives us in which to live, verses 1 to 48, show us that it gives us a confidence in this life. That God has declared his promises to us in his word. What is that individual promise that is being spoken of in verse 41? It's not that we get rich. It's not that we have an easy life free of trial. It's not that God is going to, to, to answer every single one of, of our desires or our requests or whatever the case is. What is God's promise? As, as scriptures play out through the rest of the Bible, it is the promise that the work that he started in us, he will complete, he will be completely faithful to us. And at the end of the day, on, the, on that last day, when eternity is ushered into this earth, we will look and say, God has been faithful to his promise. That's what we cling to. We keep reading in verse 49, this next section, again, the context by which we're to live. Remember your word to your servant, in which you have made me hope. Wow, what a direct reference to finding hope in the scriptures. This is my comfort in my affliction That your promise gives me life. Man, that's my source of comfort. It's not that the trial is necessarily going to end in five days. It's not that the difficulty is going to go away. The promise is this promise that, that God is our God, that he is completing his work. And that's what is to give the Christian hope. Verse 51, the insolent, the, the insolent utterly deride me, but I do not turn away from your law. When I think of your rules from of old, I take comfort, O Lord. Hot indignation seizes me because of the wicked who forsake your law. Your statutes have been my songs in the house of my sojourning. Isn't that interesting? We see in the New Testament that in First Peter, we are called sojourners. Verse 55, I remember your name in the night, O Lord, and keep your law. This blessing has fallen to me that I have kept your precepts. You see, the context by which we are to live, when we find that context in God's word, there is confidence, but not only confidence, there is hope. That God is faithful. And then one final, um, one final area we find in the Psalms that show us just how valuable God's Word is to be to us as Christians and to His church is it gives us wisdom and direction. If we jump over to verse 97, this section meme. Verse 97 says, Oh, how I love your law. It is my meditation all the day. Your commandment makes me wiser than my enemies, for it is ever with me. I have more understanding than all my teachers, for your testimonies are my meditation. I understand more than the aged, for I keep your precepts. So there is a, a worldly wisdom that cannot be matched from The truth of Scripture. 101, verse 101, I hold back my feet from every evil way in order to keep your word. I do not turn aside from your rules for you have taught me how sweet, get this, how sweet are your words to my taste. Sweeter than honey to my mouth. Through your precepts I get understanding. Therefore, I hate every false way. The Word of God gives us wisdom and direction. So, as we look at these four areas, and there could be many more that that show the value of God's Word, could I ask you this morning are you valuing it? As a church, are, are we valuing God's Word? If we're valuing God's Word, when we gather together uh, on Sunday morning, we we will come with with ready hearts to hear from God's Word. God, what do you have for me today from your Word? If we value God's Word, we, we are to awaken and say, God, what do you have for me from your Word today? Lesser things will not overcome the priority of one who truly values God's word. But number two, not only are we called, if the scriptures are going to be our authority for our lives and this church, not only are we to value God's word, but number two, we are to prioritize the word of God. If we turn to Deuteronomy 6, we see this. And the reason we have this in this order, valuing God's Word and then prioritizing God's Word, is because when we look at our lives, it is the indicator of just how much we, we do value God's Word. Moses in Deuteronomy is instructing this new generation of Israelites that are going to go into the land of Canaan to conquer the pagan nations and claim the promise that God gave Abraham hundreds of years before. And in his instructions, he says in verse 4, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. This section of scripture um, is called the Shema. Uh, the, 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 the Jewish people would recognize this as the Shema, which, which is a Hebrew word that means hear. And, and not only does it mean hear with your ears, but with the implication that not only will you hear it, you're going to obey what you hear. It's like when we tell our children they, 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 they do something and they're, they don't follow through and you say, listen to me, and they say, I am listening. Then you're not listening because you didn't do what I said. Verse 4, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might. In chapter 5 of Deuteronomy, uh, Moses is, is giving this new generation the Ten Commandments that are repeated from Exodus 20. He's instructing the people to follow God in the new land, the land of promise, the land with milk and honey. And he's saying, You must hear, hear this, the Lord your God is above any other gods. He is the one and only true God. It is Him that you are to follow in obedience to His commands, not because you just emptily obey, there's that word I made up, not because you you just obey uh, out of an empty heart, but because you love the Lord your God. So if we are going to prioritize the Word of God, first of all, we have to embrace it. You have to embrace it with your whole person. It says here in verse 5, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart. That word heart is talking about the control center of your mind, of your emotion, of your will. Will. It is what drives you. It is it is the way you think. It is the way you feel. It is, it is putting your will into action. It is all to be driven by this love for God. You see, we oftentimes jump to God's word as a thing that we just have to do to check it off a list, to do an assignment. And we don't realize that it is the very message of who God is that is to produce in us a greater love that then produces an even greater hunger for God's word. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and then with all your soul. This is the very essence of a person. It's, in other words, their being. It's the same word that, that, that Moses says, and the Lord breathed into the, into the Adam's nostrils the breath of God, and he became a living soul. It is the very essence of a person. It is to be characterized by this love for God. And then Moses writes, he says, with all your might, this is all of one's physical energies. You see, while well, the demands of life demand that our energies be placed in many different things, what undergirds all of those other things is a love for God. That's what it's like to be a Christian living in this world. That's what it should be like. So we must embrace God's Word, because of a love for Him with our entire person, if we're going to prioritize it. There's no little baskets that we dichotomize and say, this is for me and this is for God. That's not the way it works. But then, not only do we embrace God's Word out of a love for Him with our whole person, we're called to purposefully live out God's Word that stems from a love for Him. Verse 6 says, in these words that I command you shall, uh, today shall be on your heart. He's referring all the way back when, when He reviews the Ten Commandments and what it means, what it looks like to follow God and, and that they're to be serving Him in verse 4 and 5, out of a love for Him. You see, the Word of God, is to, it's to be on our heart. The words of Scripture, we who have been privileged to have the complete Scriptures from Genesis to Revelation, which no other uh, Christian uh, in history uh, passed uh, before the, the, the final book of Revelation was completed. No other uh, group had those completed Scriptures. They are to be on our heart. One person says to be upon the heart is to be one's constant, conscious reflection. It is not that we are reading God's word 24 hours a day, but that we are reading God's word and we are reading it deeply to know Him more and intently, and in saying, I want to know you, God. I want uh, to have the Spirit be working through your Word so as we read it, we are thinking upon it even when we're doing other things. It's to be on our heart, but not only is it to be on our heart, it's to be on our lips. We'll go at what verse 7 says. You shall teach them diligently to your children. You shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, and when you arise. Teach them diligently to your children. How many of you are a father here with children that live in your home? How many of you are a mother with children that live in your home? We are to be teaching the Scriptures diligently to our children. Many of you say, I don't have any children. Well, this body is a church family. You can look around, and there are many children to take under your wing Those of you who maybe are older in life, there are so many individuals who are younger in life, and maybe God has taught you lessons through His Word that you could take under your wing to share the truth of Scripture. What a blessing that would be. But let me ask you, specifically as we look at the home life, does this characterize you Teaching diligently has the idea of repetitious instruction. And that's why we see this description the way we do in verse 7. That word teach is, uh, is uh, literally the, the word sharpen. It's the idea, and get this, this is so important. It's the idea of an engraver that is chiseling away at a stone. And in that chiseling... Is making a lasting impression. We are to be diligently instructing, passing along the truth of Scripture to our children. Just came across an article this week that said that characteristically, Those who walk away from the faith when they are older are those who have never been grounded in Scripture and doctrine. There is no foundation that has been laid for children. And therefore, when they start hearing all of these new ideas and concepts And because it's a part of this world system and our hearts are geared to this world system, it quickly seems tantalizing. And without that grounding, our children are swept away. Are you taking this responsibility seriously? Teaching here in the context is not just, okay, son, sit down. I would like to discuss with you the Trinity for the next 30 minutes. That's great. Uh, during a, uh, the trip uh, 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 that Timmy and I took to Florida to, to get our van, and, and coming back, uh, we found out the radio wasn't working, so we had 20 hours of no, no music, so that provided good conversation. We started talking about all sorts of things, uh, including... Um, uh, uh, the book of Revelation and I was talking to him and I was like, oh man, he's lost. He <laughs> but but he's, he's a captive audience. Um, but then he brought up things later. I was like, whoa, he actually l- heard something from that. Sorry to embarrass you this morning. Our children are listening, but, but look at what it says in verse seven. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, when you rise. In other words, we are teaching our children and passing on to our children uh, the truths of Scripture. That is to be done in every facet of life, not just some formalized setting. Whether you are sitting or walking, notice the contrast, rest, walk. Whether you lie down and rise, whether it's at night or whether it's through the course of the day, like one individual says, sitting suggests inactivity, and walking, of course, activity. Together they encompass all of human effort. Likewise, to retire at night and to rise up in the morning speaks of the totality of time. So important is covenant truth that it must be at the center of all one's labor and life. Now listen, some individuals may say, Pastor Adam, I don't know a lot about Scripture, so I don't feel like I have a lot to pass on. And the, 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 the answer to that is not to say I'm going to do nothing because of that, because what are you going to do if your kids don't see you in Scripture and taking... Uh, scripture and doctrine seriously they're more than likely not to not going to you're going to reproduce yourself the idea is hey you know what kiddos boy daddy didn't learn these things when i was your age I don't want you to be in the same, uh, have the same difficulty that I do. We're going to start to be reading, and we may not even understand things, but we're going to start to be reading and, and, and talking about Scripture together so that we can be learning as a family. And guess what? God has just so happened to bless us with the church community that we can go to people with questions where we don't understand. That's the church. That is the individual family unit and the church body working as it's meant to function together. So it's not enough to say, man, I'm lost when I read Scripture. Man, I don't read it because I just don't understand it. Hey, that's great. Maybe it's an opportunity for a fellow brother, a fellow sister, to come alongside you to help you, to answer your questions. We're all called to be theologians because a theologian is simply what one believes about God and we all believe something about God, even the atheist who says there is no God. Verse 8, as we quickly begin to wind down, You shall bind them as signs upon your hand, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. See, not only is it to be on our lips, that because it's in our heart, it proceeds to our lips. We want to tell our children. We want to tell our grandchildren. We want to tell our adopted children that we are mentoring in this church. Those that are alongside of us, children or adults but it is to now characterize our lives. You see this progression, the heart, the lips, the life. And there's this mention of of your hands and your eyes, your mind. Matt explained frontlets, but the idea here is to be that God's word is always to be before us in what we do, in what we think, in how we view life. It is to be on our mind that we are thinking, we are meditating on his word. We are seeking to know it more because by knowing God's word more, we know God more. But it is on our hands because it is encompassing. It is the purpose. It is, it is the, 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 the foundational function in all that we do. Then verse 9, it is to be with you wherever you go. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your In other words, God's word is to characterize your family home. When one enters your home, one is to say, not in a judgmental way, but one is to say in an observational way, this home is guided by God's Word. This home functions in accordance with Scripture. Not that this home is perfect. Not that this home uh, can't improve, but this is a home that is seeking to prioritize God's Word. With the nation of Israel... It says that the, 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 the scriptures, it says, you shall write them on your gates. In other words, even the cities of Israel, when you went to the various tribes, the way that they operate, not just in their family units, but in their cities themselves are to operate according to God's word. You see, we cannot have a healthy church unless we have healthy individuals healthy families. Can I ask you, are you prioritizing God's word in your home, even if you may say, I have no children? Are you prioritizing God's word as a couple? Is it written, so to speak, on the doorposts of your house? God, it was fine for Israel to put the, 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 the phylacteries, the, the signs on their forehead or on their hands, and to write them on, on the doorposts literally. But what God was getting at is that this was to be a word picture, that this was to encompass everything in all that they did. In fact, Jesus later in the New Testament says they, they wear these, these uh, frontlets, but they don't follow the law, these religious leaders. It was all an outward show, and that's the temptation for us as well. So as we conclude today, and I didn't get done, we'll have to talk about that in the meeting. We have our sermon series scheduled out, we see as we conclude, we are to value the word of God and prioritize the word of God. I think next we're going to go on a future Sunday to the corporate level as well as the individual that we are called to cling to the word of God.